Turn with me to Luke, the ninth chapter. That's where we're going to be studying together. Luke chapter 9. Appreciate Eli reading that for us. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be at the very end of that chapter in verses 57 through 62. Everything in this world, everything in this life has a cost attached to it. The question that we have to answer is, are we willing to pay it? For instance, in 1803, representatives from the United States sat down with Napoleon Bonaparte of France in order to have a conversation about extending the United States' western border. They ended up making a deal to do that in 1803. The United States purchased a huge chunk of land that later came to be known as the Louisiana Purchase. The United States, in that moment, purchased 828,000 square miles for about $15 million. Just to put that in perspective for you, that's about four cents an acre. I don't know, maybe you would want to be cut in on that deal. But when you think about $15 million in 1803, that was a huge amount of money. That was a massive amount of money. But whenever France named the price... The United States was willing to pay the price. The United States was willing to pay the cost because they viewed that piece of land as worthwhile. It goes to show that everything in this world has a cost attached to it. We just have to determine whether or not we're willing to pay that cost. In 1803, the United States was willing to pay the cost. But you don't have to go back to 1803 in order to see this idea. This is something that we recognize in our lives. This is something that we experience on a daily basis. For instance, this is the cost of your cell phone having service every month. Are you willing to pay it? This is the cost of putting gasoline in your car. Are you ready to pay it? This is the cost of keeping your water running, keeping your electricity on, keeping your utilities going in your house. Are you willing to pay that cost? Something catches your eye in a store. And so you run over to it. The first thing you do is what? If you're like me, you check the price tag. And you ask yourself, am I willing to pay this? Am I willing to pay this price? Am I willing to pay this cost? Here's the cost of groceries for this week or the next couple weeks. Are you willing to pay that cost? Whether we recognize it or not, this is something that we deal with every day, every week, every month. It's something that we recognize even if we don't know that we're recognizing it. Everything in this world has a cost attached to it. And constantly we're answering and asking the question, are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to pay the price? If we are willing to pay the cost, then we're able to have whatever it is. If we're not willing to pay the cost, then we're not able to have it. This morning, I want us to see from Luke chapter 9 that following Jesus is the same way. Like we said, we've been in a series of lessons that have been focused on following in the footsteps of Jesus, following after our Lord. This morning, we need to recognize that following Jesus has a cost attached to it. It's important for us to recognize that because there are so many in our religious world who don't recognize that. There are so many people who might claim they're following Jesus. Maybe they want to follow Jesus in their hearts, but they're not willing to pay the price. 
They're not willing to pay the cost that is necessary in order to actually follow after Jesus. There are so many in this world, in the religious world, who want what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. There are so many who want forgiveness without repentance. I want God to forgive me for my sin, but I'm not quite willing to let go of my sin. I'm not willing to change the way that I think so that I'll change the way that I live. There are so many who want baptism without church discipline. There are so many who want communion without confession. People who want the grace of God without discipleship. I want God to give me His grace as a gift, but I'm not quite willing to be a disciple. I'm not quite willing to live the life of a disciple. People who want grace without the cross. And what that really is, is people wanting grace without Jesus Christ. I'm sure you recognize the fact that that's a problem. And it's a problem that we're not going to fix until we recognize that following Jesus has a cost attached to it. The question that we have to answer is are we willing to pay it? Are we willing to pay the price, to pay the cost that is essential to following in the footsteps of Jesus? Well, that might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves this morning. Let's take a couple steps back to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, and to ask the question, what is the cost? What is the cost of following in the footsteps of Jesus in three different interactions with three different individuals? I believe that Luke is going to present to us three different ideas that demonstrate to us at least a portion of the cost of following after our Lord. Number one, in following after Jesus, according to verses 57 and 58, there is no home. When you look at the context of this passage, going back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, you find a significant moment in the Gospel of Luke. It's a turning point in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus sets His face to go to the city of Jerusalem. Like we talked about last week, Jesus isn't going to Jerusalem just because that's what He wants to do or that's His own agenda. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for us. He's setting His face to go to Jerusalem to suffer for us, to die for us. That's going to be the place where He's buried. That's going to be the place where He's raised on the third day. That's going to be the city where He ascends back to the right hand of the Father. As Jesus sets His face to go to Jerusalem, as that is the direction that Jesus and His disciples are traveling, verse 52 says that Jesus entered into some villages of of the Samaritans, but in verse number 53, the people in those villages were not willing to receive Him. As you know, I'm sure you've heard before, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along back in this time. In fact, they hated each other. As Jesus entered into Samaritan villages and proclaimed that He had His face set towards Jerusalem, which was the most important city for the Jewish people, the Samaritans weren't willing to accept that. The Samaritans weren't willing to receive Him. And so you drop down to verse 56, it says that Jesus went on His way to another village. Well, in verse 57, the first verse in our text for this morning, as Jesus is traveling to this other village, as Jesus is walking down the road, there's an individual who approached Him. This individual takes initiative and makes to Jesus a pretty life-altering promise. I will follow you wherever you go. Whenever we go to Matthew's account of this, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 19, we learn a little bit more about this man. We learn a little bit more about this individual. Matthew tells us that this man was a scribe. 
Back in this time, scribes were really well educated. They could read and write. They were experts in the Old Testament law. It was their responsibility to copy, to write commentaries on. It was their job to teach what the Old Testament Scriptures said. If you had a question about your Bible back in this time, you would go to the scribe, and the scribe would be the one responsible for answering that question. This scribe came up to Jesus in Matthew 8 and identifies Him how? Teacher. Here's someone who's well educated. He's a teacher himself. He's an expert in the Old Testament law. Yet he approaches Jesus by saying, Teacher, he recognizes that Jesus is teaching some things that he doesn't know. He has the humility to say, I'm a teacher myself. I know the Old Testament Scriptures. But I need to spend some time sitting at your feet. I need to spend some time listening to your teaching. I want you to be my teacher. I want to be your student. And as I have that desire, notice again the promise. I will follow you wherever you go. Perhaps you saw on Facebook that Leslie and I got a little puppy a few weeks ago. He quite literally follows us wherever we go. And if he's not following us, we know he's doing something wrong. We, we know he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing. Here comes this scribe to Jesus and says, I want to be your student. And as your student, I'm going to be on your heels. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to Jerusalem. You're traveling through all these villages. I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever you travel, I'm going to be right there behind you. How did Jesus respond to that? Well, great. That's awesome. I'm so excited about that. It seems like you've really put some thought into this. It seems like you're really involved and invested in this. And so, yes, come and follow me. In fact, I'll give you your first lesson right now. Is that how Jesus responded? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. Look out at the animals in nature. They have a place to call home. They have a place to lay their head at night. But, in contrast to that, referring to himself, he says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Animals, you name the kind of animal. Foxes have holes, birds of the nest. They have homes. They have places to lay their heads. Jesus says, I don't. I don't have a home. I don't have a place to lay my head. It's as if Jesus is asking the question, are you sure? Are you really sure that you want to follow me? Let me tell you something about me. I don't have a home. I don't have a place to lay my head at night. And if you follow me, you're not going to have a place to lay your head at night. You're not going to have a home. What is the cost of following Jesus? In following Jesus, there is no home. And of course, I'm not suggesting that we need to sell our homes and become homeless and live out on the streets. That's not what this text is teaching us. When we look at this idea and application, I think we see that as followers of Jesus, we can't be at home in this world. We can't make our home on this physical earth. It's like what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, that we are sojourners and exiles in this world. We're here for a temporary amount of time. And we live differently than the rest of the world around us. Hebrews 13 and 14 says that here we have no lasting city. As Christians, we don't have a home here. We don't have a lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Our home is not here. Our home is there. Here we don't have a lasting city. We're seeking, we're looking for an eternal home with God in heaven. It's like we oftentimes sing, this world is not my home. 
is this world your home? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. In following Jesus, there is no home. That's a part of the price that we have to be willing to pay. It's so easy to become comfortable in this world. It's so easy to make our home in this world. It's so easy to set our sights and to set our minds on the physical things around us where these are the only things we're considering and these are the only things that we're thinking about. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you're going to be a sojourner. You're going to be an exile. You're going to be a pilgrim. If you want to follow me, you have to recognize that you're here for only a temporary amount of time. If you're going to follow me, you have to be different, set apart from the rest of the world around you in following Jesus number one this is a part of the cost that we have to be willing to pay we have to be willing to give up our home on this earth and to seek a home with God that is coming in eternity number two what is the cost of following Jesus in following Jesus there is no delay we see that in verses 59 and 60 when you look at 59 Jesus takes the initiative Jesus approaches an individual and extends to him the invitation that we've been focused on over the last few weeks. Follow me. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes, like we just saw and like we're going to see in a few minutes, you had individuals approaching Jesus and they took the initiative. They said, I want to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. But then other times, Jesus takes the initiative. Like he approaches this one individual as he's walking down the road, traveling to this other village. He says, I want you to follow me. Jesus extends the invitation. Did this man reject Jesus' invitation? Did he look at Jesus to say, no, that's not what I'm going to be about and it's never what I'm going to be about. You shouldn't even try because I'm never going to follow somebody like you. That's not what the man said. He, he didn't reject Jesus' invitation. It seems like this man is willing to follow Jesus. He's just not willing to follow Jesus right now. He's willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He's willing to accept Jesus' invitation. But there's some things that he needs to take care of first. He needs to wait a little bit on that. He needs to delay actually following Jesus. He says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now there are a couple of different ways of thinking about that. He could be talking literally there. His father has just died. And as the child, it's his responsibility to make sure that his father has a proper burial. Or this could be a more metaphoric meaning from this individual where he's saying, I have to take care of my father. Oh, no, it's not that my father's sick. He's alive and well, but I need to take care of him until he gets sick. And when he gets sick, I need to take care of him until he dies. And when he passes away, then I need to make sure he receives a proper burial. Regardless of what he's saying there, whether he's saying this literally or whether he's saying this more metaphorically, Jesus extends the invitation, follow me. And he says, I need to wait just a little bit on that. I need to delay that just a little bit. Let's kick that stone down the street. I'm willing to follow you, but first I need to go and bury my father. How does Jesus respond? Well, sure. Of course you do. That's an important thing. You need to go and take care of your father. You need to make sure that everything for him is, is well taken care of. Go take care of your father. And when he passes, whenever he's buried, then you can come follow me. We'll reconnect then. Not what Jesus says, is it? 
Let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, let worldly people take care of worldly things. Let those who are spiritually dead take care of those who are physically dead. Let the dead bury their own dead. He says what you need to do is go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What you need to do is to go preach and to teach other people about God's kingdom coming to earth. Don't delay. Don't wait. Don't first go and bury your father. Let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, serve me now. Proclaim me now. In following after Jesus, there is no delay. In verses 59 and 60, that's a part of the cost that we have to be willing to pay. I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning who struggles with this word up on the screen. Procrastination. You know, you have something that you need to do and you know you need to do it, but it can wait until when? Well, it can wait till tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you know you need to do it, but then it can wait till next week. And then next week comes and you know you need to do it, but then it waits till next month. And the next month comes and you know you need to do it and it waits till the next month. And it's like a stone. Have you ever done that? You've been walking and you're kicking a rock and you kick it a few feet in front of you and then you catch up to it and you kick it again and then you catch up to it and you kick it again. You just keep kicking the rock down the road. Maybe sometimes we struggle with procrastination in our lives. As followers of Jesus, procrastination can't be a part of our vocabulary. Procrastination cannot be a part of who we are pertaining to spiritual things. Why is that? Because in following Jesus, there's no delay. There's no waiting. There's no first let me do this. First let me fix this. First let me take care of this. Jesus says serve me now. Follow me now. I know that I need to make the decision to be baptized, but I just hadn't got around to it yet. I know that I need to be immersed for the forgiveness of my sins and there have my sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. But first, there are some things that I need to tend to. But first, there are some things I need to take care of. How does Scripture respond to that? Acts chapter 22, verse number 16, as Ananias told Saul before he became Paul, why do you wait? Other translations say, why do you delay? The King James says, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. If you haven't been baptized, but yet you know you need to make that decision, Jesus wants to ask, why are you still sitting there? Why are you waiting on this? Why are you delaying on this? Because as long as you continue to wait, as long as you continue to delay, your sins are not going to be washed away. Why is that the pebble that you're kicking down the street? Well, I am a Christian, but I know there's some sin in my life that I need to repent of. I'm not as connected to my church family as I should be. I'm living my life as a Christian, but, but I'm not really serious about my relationship with Jesus. And, and I know I need to make that right. I know I need to do a better job at that. But first, I need to take care of some things in my family. But first, we need to get through basketball, volleyball, soccer, football season. I know that I need to do better and I know that I need to more closely follow Jesus, but first, I need to take care of this within my profession at work. Notice Jesus' attitude in John the ninth chapter in verse number 4. Jesus says, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. When was the last time that you had that sense of urgency about your relationship with God? 
When was the last time that you had that kind of sense of urgency about spiritual things, about your relationship with Jesus, that I have to do this now? I have to work the works of Him who sent me while it's day because night's coming when nobody, no man, no woman is going to be able to work. What if we actually had a sense of urgency to say, if my relationship with Jesus is not right, well, that's not something I, that I'm going to take care of tomorrow. That's something I'm going to take care of today. That's something I'm going to take care of right now. As Paul proclaims in the book of 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. And now is the acceptable time. In following Jesus, there is no delay. Maybe you're like this individual in verses 59 and 60. Jesus extends the invitation to follow after Him. And you're not saying no. You're not rejecting Him. You're not turning Him away. You're just saying we need to wait a little bit. We need to delay this a little bit. I need some things I need to take care of first. I have some things I need to fix first before I actually follow after Jesus. Jesus says, follow me now. Serve me now. Proclaim the kingdom now. In following Jesus, there's no waiting till tomorrow. It's all about today. And then finally, number three, what is the cost of following after Jesus? Verses 61 and 62 says, in following Jesus, there's no looking back. Like we saw just a little bit earlier in verse number 57, there's a man in verse 61 who approaches Jesus and makes a very similar promise to him. He says, I will follow you. But then there's a key difference between the scribe we saw in 57 and then the man that we see in 61. How does the man describe Jesus? How, what, what does he refer to Jesus as in verse 61? The Lord. In verse 57, the scribe came forward saying, I'll follow you wherever you go because I want you to be my teacher and, and I want to be your student. Well, you drop down to 61 and this person's saying, I will follow you, Lord. I want to follow you because I recognize you're the master. You're the Lord. You're the one who's in control. You're the one who is in charge of all things. If he would have ended right there, it would have been a perfectly good statement. But notice there's a but in verse 61. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus, I want to follow you. I've decided to follow you. I'm going to make that decision. I know that you're the Lord. But first, let me go and, and kiss my mom, my dad, my children, and my wife goodbye. Let, let me say farewell to them, and then I'll follow you. Perhaps he thought of himself as being in the footsteps of the prophet Elisha. Remember when the prophet Elijah passed his mantle on to Elisha? I don't know why those two names had to be so close together. Sometimes they're easy to get confused. But he's passing on this title and position of being the prophet of the Lord to Elisha. And what did Elisha say in verse 20? Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And Elijah allows him to do that. Elijah grants his request. Does Jesus grant this man's request? I'll follow you because I believe that you're the Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to those who are in my household. Jesus offers them a pretty stern warning. Back in this time, if you're going to plow a field, you do it a little bit differently than you would do it today. You'd put your left hand on the plow, put your right hand on the yoke of oxen, and plow forward. If you look to the right or the left, if you look behind you, then you would get off and your furrow wouldn't be straight. That would be a problem. I mean, we understand that concept 
even with just mowing the yard. I remember one time I was on a zero turn. To make a zero turn go, you push both of the handles forward. Somebody drove by and waved at me, and I waved back, and what happened? Zero turn immediately jerked to the right. You you have to go straight. You have to keep your eyes forward in order to produce what you want to produce. I'll follow you because I believe that you're the Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to those who are in my household. Jesus responds to that with a warning. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit, or some translations say suitable, for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, I need your eyes to be on me. If you're going to follow me, I need you to recognize we're going to be plowing in this direction. We want the furrow to be straight and I'm going to need your eyes straight forward. If you're going to be constantly looking back at your old life, if you're going to constantly be looking back at who you used to be and what you used to do, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to follow after me. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, there's no looking back. I need your eyes locked in on me. The same is true for us. This is a part of the cost we have to pay in following Jesus. In following Jesus, there is no looking back. The Apostle Paul understood that idea perfectly. In Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Paul says, let me tell you a secret. One thing that I do in my life to keep moving forward, despite the difficulties that I face, is this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says what I do to keep moving, what I do to keep going is I refuse to look back and I set my eyes forward on what? Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In following after Jesus, it's tempting to look back. It's tempting to look back on what you've left. It's tempting to look back on who you used to be and what you used to do and who you used to hang out with before you became serious about your relationship with Jesus. In following Jesus, it's easy to look back on our successes and to be filled with pride, to think that we're better than everybody else. In following Jesus, it's easy to look back on our failures and to be filled with guilt and to think that we're worse, that, that, that we, are, we are the worst out of everybody else. Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, I need your eyes on me. If you're going to follow me, there's no looking back. I need you to look forward. We're plowing in this direction. And I need your eyes focused in that direction. Jesus says, I need your eyes focused on me. And focused on the eternity that I offer to you. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In following Jesus, there is no looking back back we recognize it in every area of our lives except for religion everything in this world has a cost attached to it and we're constantly asking and answering the question are we willing to pay the cost are we willing to pay the price the same is true with jesus following jesus has a cost attached to it according to luke chapter 9 if we're going to follow jesus there's no home There's no delay and there's no looking back. That is the cost of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Now the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to pay that cost? Are you willing to pay that cost? Am I willing to pay that cost?
in order to follow Jesus, are we willing to leave behind our world and our, our, our home in this world? In order to follow Jesus, are we willing to do it immediately and to not continue to procrastinate making our lives right with Him? In following after Jesus, are we willing to set our eyes on Him? Not constantly looking back, but keeping our eyes forward and heading in the direction of heaven. Don't settle for cheap grace. Don't expect everything from Jesus without being willing to give something to Jesus. Don't expect everything for nothing. Here's the cost of following Jesus. Are you willing to pay it? If you're not willing to pay it, I'll be honest, it'd be better if you just didn't follow. But if you look at that list, if you look at this text and say, that's what I'm going to be about. I'm willing to follow Jesus regardless of what the cost might be. Can I tell you, can I assure you that it's going to be so worth it? That if you pay that cost now, it's going to pay off dividends as you step into eternity. Pay the cost now and experience the presence of God forever. Can we help you to follow Jesus this morning? Can we help you to pay this cost? If we can, then please come forward as together we stand and sing.